Today's episode of On Shuffle is brought to you by YouTube Music. YouTube Music is a new app that combines everything you expect from a streaming service with the magic of YouTube to bring everything to life. With YouTube Music Premium, you'll get ad-free music that plays with the screen off or while other apps are open. Get music whenever you want it, even if you're offline. Download the new YouTube Music app today and start a free 30-day trial. Then just pay $9.99 per month. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of On Shuffle. I'm your host, Micah Peters, staff writer at The Ringer. Great website. This week, we have a Lindsay Zolad's double disc. She's going to first be talking to us about Swedish pop star Robin's new album, Honey, which is her first album in eight years. It's also very good. But Lindsay's then going to stick around to try to make sense of what's going on between Nicki Minaj and Cardi B. There are so many things involved that... I mean, like, it's impossible to keep track of, but we're going to try. So let's get into it. If you're into glitchy, digitized loneliness, there's a new Robin album out. Not Robin Fenty, but Robin, the Swedish pop star of Dancing on My Own fame. Her last album, 2010's Body Talk, encouraged us all to do the brave and ridiculous things we'd otherwise only think about, like steal someone else's boo thing or cry on the dance floor if we need to. Eight years later, we have Honey, and I asked my colleague, Lindsay Zolads, does it deliver? Lindsay, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. So you wrote a piece about uh, Robin's Honey album on the Rigger.com great website. Can you provide a brief backstory for those unfamiliar with the Swedish pop artist? My favorite factoid that you included was that she was born three years before ABBA broke up. <laughs> you got to set the scene in Sweden. She was born in <laughs> Stockholm. So, yeah, Robin is a Swedish pop star who has lived several different pop lives at this point. She first sort of came to prominence in the late 90s with the album Robin is Here. That was, a, I remember the first time hearing it, like I was like 10 years old and that was on the radio. The hits, Show Me Love and You Know What It Takes. And she was sort of this uh, kind of pre-Britney, pre-Christina, like Jive Records era. She would eventually end up at Jive Records, but the the real bubblegum pop that we associate with the late 90s, um, she worked with Max Martin and the producer Dennis Pop, who were sort of the engineers of that sound. Um, but she got there, I think, a year before the big Britney boom. So was in conversation with those artists, but a little bit before and a little bit different because she was Swedish. She had a really bizarre upbringing where her parents were a part of an experimental theater troupe and they brought her along on shows from like basically the time she was born until she was seven. So she had this like early experience performing and in sort of a more avant-garde sense. So she was bringing a lot of maturity to this industry that was kind of prizing, you know, the Britneys and the Christinas and the fresh face young girls. Robin had kind of already been through a lot and 
was bringing like a European perspective too. So she made that record. It was a hit internationally. She had another record that came out after that that was not released in the United States because there were two songs on the album about an abortion that she had had. Mm -hmm. And the American pop gods were like... (laughs) You can't this do is a that. little too this is a little too <laughs> yeah. raw for yeah. you know mass I, market. I felt, exactly. But it, interestingly enough, it wasn't in Sweden. It came out in Sweden and then only the American side of her label had a problem with it. So I think another thing when you're talking about Robin is these kind of two different audiences and different sort of national identities that she's appealed to at various times over her career. Mm-hmm. So after she'd had this initial success in the US. Then she, you know, was just like a little bit too independent, I think, in the moment of Britney and Christina and when it was the very confectionery, you know, sweet as pie kind of pop star. She was not platform shoes, patent leather. Yeah. I mean, she would definitely, the the platform shoes, Robin (laughs) knows her way around those. Um, So anyway, so she sort of very slowly across the early 2000s was making decisions to exert more control over her career. She did a song with the Swedish pop duo The Knife, who were known for kind of hard-edged and avant-garde production values. it to your label they were like this is weird we don't like it but she was like this is my favorite song I've ever done so she ended up buying herself out of her label deal at Jive um, somewhere in around like 2004 and then she put out an album in 2005 a self-titled album called Robin through her own record company Kanichiwa Records that she had started on her own so that that was a somewhat long-winded way of catching you up to speed to where she was, you know, when this last album, Body Talk, came out. I remember the the large notes. I remember dancing on my own. I keep dancing on my own. And I remember Call Your Girlfriend. Call your girlfriend. And I remember that everybody that I went to school with was obsessed with it. But there was also the reason why those songs have been is that there's this sort of specific Robin feeling uh, Mm -hmm. that is difficult for most people to put their finger on. How is Robin's music, how would you say it differentiates itself from other types of club music? The Body Talk era, so like the songs you mentioned were kind of her her biggest hits um, around 2010. And that era of Robin, which I do think of as kind of the fully realized Robin sound, is these really hard kind of electronic, almost Giorgio Moroder-like beats that are kind of arpeggiated and, and have a certain like mechanical quality to them. And then at the same time, kind of undercutting that, there's this really vulnerable human vocal from Robin, uh, often talking about heartbreak or you know, dancing away the pain or just all these sorts of operatic emotions that kind of play around with the tension between the really mechanized beats and then the really melodramatic, like, emo (laughs) pop music. And that's kind of, you know, Dancing on My Own, I think, is the, the chief example of that. That's just a perfect song. 
Can you remember where you well you remember that you were ten and listening to uh, the <laughs> the the uh, Robin's first project in the car, you know, like hearing it over the radio. Where were you when you heard that record for the first time? That's a good question. I definitely associate like that kind of era of Robin with like college parties, yep. and <laughs> I think something that was cool about Body Talk too um, was that it came out sort of gradually like there were three different EPs that she released I think between I want to say 2009 and 2011 which at that time you know that's kind of how a lot of artists like you look at someone like Drake or just a lot of rappers now like kind of work outside the traditional album structure Mm -hmm. but she was doing that a couple years before it was kind of the thing to do like she the way that the Body Talk songs were released was kind of like she was having this really creative, uh, creatively productive period and wanted to share this music kind of as she was making it. So it came out in trickle. So I remember hearing Dancing on My Own and Fembot, which I think was on the first version long before Call Your Girlfriend, which was on the third. Uh, And then by the time, you know, it was eventually packaged into this one album called Body Talk that kind of culminated, but it was a really, I think that's part of why those songs had have had such staying power too, is they were working sort of outside the hot 100 confines. Like it was more, there was something kind of uh, word of mouth and like grassroots about the way that these hits caught on, mm-hmm. which it was very in keeping with her sort of creating this independently controlled career outside of her, outside of the major label system. Six years pass, and then you're watching that March 2017 episode of Girls, and the Honey record comes on at the end. Like, mm-hmm. how has her sound changed in that intervening time? Well, yeah, there. So, over the end credits of one of the last episodes of Girls, uh, she basically gave Lena Dunham like an unfinished new song and was like, You can use this in your show. Uh, and that song, that version of Honey, sounded a lot like the Robin that we knew and love and were wanting new music from. It was really, again, had that kind of hard-driving, um, Marauder-esque beat and just a really melodic and impassioned vocal over over top of it. Very, It was a really percussive track, too. And so then what ended up happening was that was a year and a half ago, and people were like, where's Honey? Uh, that song never came out in the way that there was no download, there was no video for it. Um, and people who became obsessed with it would just like listen to basically the rip of the song over the end credits of Girls with Adam Driver's voice <laughs> delivering some lines <laughs> over top of it because that was like all we could get of Robin. And there was a whole hashtag release honey, damn it, <laughs> was a whole thing for a while. That uh, she ended up when the record finally came out last week, she sort of reappropriated that and was using it as like her marketing campaign, which mm-hmm. is pretty good. Did you immediately like Honey? I mean, because, okay, so we kind of talked about this a little bit offline. It kind of has mm-hmm. this this feeling of this kind of blue light exhaustion. I, it's very, mm. like, smooth and around the edges, and it's difficult to grab onto any one particular thing. At least that's the way that I felt about it. But you said that the song was bookended by 
these reflections of loss. The first record, Missing You, and then mm-hmm. also the final record, Ever Again, where she kind of has that thing on the outro where she's just kind of talking. She's just like, I'm never going to be brokenhearted again, which is yeah. sad in itself. But... <laughs> Missing You, I felt like either spent all of its time in the air or never fully gets off of the ground. I mean, did you immediately like Honey or no? I It definitely grew on me. I think the first time I listened to the record, I was a little disappointed. And, you know, it's not exactly what people were expecting if they wanted Body Talk Part 4. You know, it's it's not... She's been away for a long time. It's It's an evolution. And I think... So in the the Honey song that she released on Girls, the, the version that appears on the album is really different and it's even more minimalist. Like she's really taken out a lot of the percussion. It's It borrows a lot more from house music and club music. Which was what she wanted to do, but there definitely were some people that wanted the girls' version and I think were disappointed in this, which I got to say, I feel like the girls' version has to come out at some point. Like, it's people that are bummed about <laughs> that version. I'm sure she'll just, like, put it out there on time, but well, yeah, she I mean, very... There's also only nine songs on this project. You had to imagine yeah. there's going to be some sort of deluxe version or something that comes out with that song Totally. Totally. I hope so. Because I do. I don't know that I like that version better, but it's just I think it highlights just what a great song it is that there can be these different versions of it and you get something different out of each one. Um, I think there's a lot of depth to her songwriting that that attests to. But yeah, it's it's definitely a record that she made for herself rather than thinking about, you know, what do other people expect from me? What are other people going to like? What's the easiest way to kind of win people over? So I, yeah, the first couple of times I listened to it, I was a little bit disappointed. And then I've really found it growing on me, especially even in the time since I've written about it. I generally, my rule of thumb is like, I know something's really good if even after I write about it and have been obsessively listening to it, if like the next day I still go back and listen to it when it's not an assignment anymore. And yeah. I found myself this past weekend just like listening to this record a lot, spending some time with it um, and not having to like evaluate it so much. But I think it's really, um, there's a lot of depth to it, a lot of maturity. And at the same time, there are the two songs that you mentioned do kind of feel old school Robin to me, but without that, sort of catharsis of dancing on my own. Like, she, Missing You, as you mentioned, is a song about grief. One of her collaborators, Christian Falk, passed away, I think, a couple of years ago. And, and this is generally thought to be a song about him and her kind of dealing with loss. And it's a really sad song. You don't get that kind of, but I'm going to be okay anyway, catharsis that you usually get from a Robin song. It does, like you said, it kind of leaves you hanging. And as much as that's not you know, as kind of easy an experience to have out of a pop song. I think it's what she wanted to do with this record and and on that song in particular. Yeah, it's scarce that you actually come across a pop song that traffics in so much 
I guess, uncertainty, like mm-hmm. almost to the point of like hopelessness. Uh, I think <laughs> I was the because there was another piece that uh, Gia Tolentino wrote on New York on the New Yorker that was just kind of like positioning it as this album that is like you got to bottom out, I guess, before you can like start to get better is what mm-hmm. the, the the feeling of this album is like. Yeah. Um, but like you said, that's not something we usually expect from pop music. But I think Robin has made a whole career of giving us what we didn't expect from her and, and making these really hard aesthetic pivots um, that only really underscore like how independent and singular she is. You were saying that, you know, like you returned to the album and found it growing on you after it was no longer an assignment. Uh, is there <laughs> Was there a song that you heard at first that you were just kind of like, hmm, okay, this is a, I guess, a song. And then afterwards, like after you came back to it, you realized that you really liked it? One that I've experienced that with is uh, Between the Lines, which is the really just like straight up house song on this. You know, it's it's just like 90s house music, basically, and felt to me at first like, okay, I see what you're doing. Like, it's pretty obvious, but there, I think it's just like a really fun track, and it's a very lovingly wrought homage. And I mentioned in the piece, it's I think just like a funny irony of her career is that she initially had to change the spelling of her name to Robin with a Y. Um, that's not how she was born spelling her name, but there was another artist called Robin S who had a big house hit called Show Me Love and which was the same title as the Robin single that was so they were like we this is too confusing we have to change Robin's name and I think something kind of funny is like she sounds more like Robin S than original Robin Show Me Love now because she's really leaning into that like early 90s house sound and yeah I just I really appreciate the playfulness of some of the production on this record and that song in particular like even though she sounds pretty miserable at times <laughs> she also there are parts where she does feel like sound like she's having fun within the world of the music rarely is it all bad but um yeah <laughs> but what a perfect year for bummer pop music <laughs> what a perfect are a bummer anymore so. <laughs> Lindsay, thank you very much for talking to me about this Robin Honey album. Everybody, stick around because we have a lot of Nicki Minaj and Cardi B drama to talk about. Stay tuned. There's this empty space you left behind. Now you're not here with me. I can take it through a waste of time. But the picture's incomplete. Today's episode of On Shuffle is also brought to you by Musician. Have you always wanted to learn to play a musical instrument but not known where to start? Invigorate your musical passion with the Musician app. Musician is your personal music tutor for the digital age. It's the best way to learn, practice, and master a musical instrument because it listens to you play and gives instant feedback on your accuracy and timing, and it's free to download from your app store. 
Here's how it works. You use your real instrument. The app includes lessons for guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and vocals. Whether you're a complete beginner or experienced player, you can follow expert design courses that guide you with exercises and popular hit songs. The app takes you through step-by-step tutorials that suit your playing level. Fun and addictive gameplay tracks your progress and keeps you motivated so you can actually learn. Musician has over 10 million users. They believe everyone can and should have the experience of learning a musical instrument. Become the musician you always wanted to be. Download Musician for free in your app store today. Okay, so you liked it the last time we did it, or at least you didn't complain loudly enough. It's another edition of the Rat Beef Report, this time with my colleague Lindsay Zolads, who's going to be talking to me about Nicki Minaj and Cardi B, which um, is a feud that has been going on since motorsport and is still going on. You see them stats? You know what I am about? I am the champ. I'm I am Mike and about. Attention. I'm going to need you to And now includes everyone from Nicki Minaj's close friend and TV personality, Ra Ali, to Diesel, to literally Steve Madden. Lindsay, did this also eat up a chunk of your Monday? Um, I was trying to tune it out <laughs> and then today I just couldn't avoid it. Um, yeah, when Steve Madden feels the need to weigh in. Right. And you got to pay attention. Uh, so basically, if we want to go ahead and set the table a little bit, you know that Nicki Minaj and Cardi B have kind of had this long simmering feud that occasionally flared up to... I guess, serious incidents that required writing about, like the Harper's Bazaar icon party event during New York Fashion Week where Cardi B Mm -hmm. allegedly threw a shoe. And then on Monday, Nicki Minaj's episode of Queen Radio where she said that that fight didn't happen how Cardi B said it did. She said that her friend Ra Lee beat up Cardi B and then also that Cardi B kept was trying to stop her bag by like not letting Offset or 21 Savage collaborate with Nicki on the No Flag video uh, or do a remix to Crippy Kush, which is a song that came out recently. I mean, like, it's just, it's all so complicated and it feels like it's impossible to grab onto anything. Yeah, well, they're in one of Cardi's Instagram videos yesterday. She said to Nikki, among other things, she said, you lie so much, I can't keep up with your fucking lies. And that's kind of how I feel about this story. (laughs) Right. Whether they're lies or not, so many things are happening that I cannot keep up. And I I just have a limited capacity to, but I did watch the Cardi Instagram videos, I must say. Basically, um, for those of you that missed all of this, Nicki Minaj had the episode of Queen Radio and then... A couple of hours passed. Everybody was just kind of, you know, we reached the point in this feud where everything is blessedly hilarious. Everything that you see on Twitter will be funny if you see tweets about it. Um, But then Cardi B took to Instagram later that afternoon and posted 10 videos, uh, basically uh, redressing all of Nikki's points. Why is it that we can't like look away from this, even though I know that we, both of us in particular, are pretty tired about it at this point. Something about this feud, like you said, it kind of felt inevitable. You know, before they even had any beef with each other, 
just by the fact of Cardi coming up as a successful female rapper in the mainstream, people are like, oh, Nikki's going to have a problem with that. And you just like desperately wanted that not to be so for the sake of like, can't we all just get along and like female solidarity, et cetera. But it happened. I think there are many reasons why it happened. But something I find really interesting about the recent flare-up, shall we say, of this beef is that Nikki is is talking about all this on Queen Radio, which is the show she has on Mondays on Apple Music, on Apple Music's radio station. Um, she has dutifully hashtagged Queen Radio in every one of these tweets about it. She's a very good, a savvy businesswoman, as she always has been. So it does feel like there's a there's a level of her promoting the show, but then by the same token, Cardi is kind of showing us what she's always been good at too, which is just like going off on Instagram and making really entertaining Instagram videos and and like she's just very good on camera like that. That's part of what got her famous in the first place was doing these really unfiltered quote unquote Instagram videos. So I find it really funny that they're both kind of using their respective platforms to take shots at each other while also kind of hammering home like the differences between those platforms and and almost like the generational divide too between them. Like Nikki's using this really well-funded Apple platform and Cardi's like, I'm just going to go on IG and it's like, go yeah, off on you. The, yeah, the videos were just like, she was literally just sitting at her house on the couch, just, yes, you know, and then decided sort of that she was mad and was her. just like, yeah. She's always very aware of the frame, as you should be, <laughs> if you're going to, you know, be seen by millions of people just going in on your enemy. Um, yeah, but that's, again, that's like, that is quite literally how she got famous, was being very good at doing exactly what she did. With Nikki's approach to all this, uh, I mean, like, there was maybe at first something about sales involved. I mean, controversy historically, like, up to this year feels, I mean, like, it sells. But Rob Harvilla, our colleague Rob Harvilla, and then also, like, Aaron Williams at uh, Uproxx, too, noted this, that the big heavy hitters like Kanye and Drake and Nikki are all kind of were with their past projects kind of trying to elevate them on this platform of controversy. Like Nikki addressed four years of backlog drama just for Queen to come out at number two behind Astroworld. And then their release weekend was overshadowed by a song about cows. Um, <laughs> it, like, is there anything facts? <laughs> who would you say is like pulling ahead as far as this feud goes, even though there aren't any actual songs to speak of between the two. Yeah, I don't want to, I almost don't want to take a side, but I think I have to say Cardi is pulling ahead if only for, like you said, it's it's more, I see this as kind of a a generational thing, even though there's only about 10 years of age difference between them. Um, like, I do think it's correct to kind of lump Nikki in with the Kanye's and... Drake, not so much because he's had a very successful year and still seems, you know, one step ahead of the streaming game and everything. But I think you do have these former titans like Nikki and Kanye trying to figure out this year, like where they fit in this landscape where 
the next famous rapper can just like come off Instagram and become a good rapper because she was good at doing Instagram videos. Like they're they're kind of taking a more traditional path and doing these partnerships with Apple and stuff like that. And something about the way that Cardi is going about even this feud in the way that she's presenting herself feels more like the future of how this stuff is going to be. She's not trying to like hashtag her radio show on these videos. She's just, this is just what she does. And, you know, I think you're seeing some more established artists struggling to make sense in that world where you can kind of be that unfiltered and and not everything has to be a branding opportunity. Right. Then it just kind of comes off that you just spend a lot of time feeling attacked and not knowing exactly what to do about it, which, yeah, I guess plays into the hands of the person that is more familiar with the platform and I guess the way that things are done in this day and age. Um, And in addition, I feel like Cardi has more points just because of the final comment that she made during those Instagram rants was stop focusing on other people, focus on yourself and focus on your craft because you're out here fucking up your legacy looking like a fucking hater. Yes. And the word legacy, again, kind of goes back to like she's, that's a very loaded word to use in that context because she, in some sense, is like, calling her old (laughs) a little bit and acting as though like rather than being a player in like the present moment that what Nikki has to think about is her legacy. So it's like a very backhanded compliment there. But before we get out of here, another another, you know, like third party that weighed in on this feud was Little Mix, who had a song called Woman Like Me that Cardi B claimed they came to her with first. And they recently came out saying that, you know, like it was always going to be Nicki Minaj on the song. And then there was also the Diesel brand partnership that was apparently offered to Cardi B first. And it's been this back and forth about who got what first and who's eating whose scraps. I'm just wondering, is this is this back and forth any more anything more than just like wanton pettiness? I think there is a little bit more to it. Like if you look at the big picture, which is that. As much as they can, like, whether or not they respect each other, they're still operating in this world that really kind of only can see one popular female rapper existing at one time and thus, like, giving the job opportunities to that person. So I think it gets interesting when you start talking about them arguing over who was offered what first and, you know, the the terms on which they were offered because— these aren't things where they're both going to get it. it. This is kind of opportunities where, you know, Little Mix or whoever is saying like, oh, we need a female rapper on this bridge. And their producer, whoever, calls like the female rapper, which for a really long time, that was only Nicki Minaj. Mm-hmm. And that's why you saw Nicki on just so many guest verses on pop songs and other rapper songs. Like she was the one on speed dial. And now that there's more than one of them and that there's a younger one who's like, you know, a little bit more on the come up and and kind of a flashier name at the moment that, you know, we have to expand that space where there's not just one female rapper anymore. So I do think some of what they're arguing about is like a larger systemic problem where we can't 
<laughs> understand there being more than one popular female MC at once. But yeah, it's it's rough. <laughs> yeah, it's rough is probably you know the the neatest uh, summation of what has been going on these last few days. Um, it has been an absolute mess. But this has also been another rat beef report with Lindsay Zolas. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. That's it. That's all we got. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to Lindsay Zolads for stopping by this week. And shout out my producer, Bobby Wagner. Don't forget to check out our playlist. We will be updating every week with the songs that we're listening to. A link to that is in the description. Also, please rate and subscribe if you like the show. We really appreciate it. Peace. See you next week. Have you always wanted to learn to play a musical instrument but not known where to start? Let the Musician app be your personal music tutor. It's the best way to learn, practice, and master an instrument. It listens to you play and gives you feedback on your accuracy and timing while you're banging out chopsticks. Become the musician you always wanted to be. Download Musician for free in your app store today.